Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 102 with the lead academy sports scientist at Millwall, Darren Stern. Darren came on to talk about the, the title of this podcast, which is Are Players Getting the S&C Support They Need? And especially academy players, which is obviously who Darren works with mainly. So we touched on the main struggles in academy strength and conditioning. We talked about the playing time slash S&C ratio. We talked about finding time for strength and conditioning. And then we went into Darren's business, so him setting up his private business. So the reasons behind setting up his company, um, working privately with players and also clubs, tying in the clubs with that process. Um, And then we also went on to some of his research, so future research from Darren on bilateral and unilateral training. So another great episode, definitely one for anyone working with academy players, but also anyone working privately as well, because we had some great discussions around those areas on this episode. So um, make sure you listen to those. And as this podcast goes out, I'm, I'm just recording this final bit on Wednesday, the 2nd of September. This is the day that we are going to be running our webinar in association with Physique with Nick Grantham. So Nick is um, coming onto the webinar for us to discuss loads of different topics on effective communication, support and delivery, and then working in different sporting cultures as well. So if you're listening to this episode on Wednesday, the 2nd of September, as it goes out, there is still time to register for the webinar. If you have missed the date, it is going to be available on our community at footballfitfed.com. Sign up to the community there. You do get three months. You can go and listen to the webinar with Nick. Um, I'm obviously before the webinar I'm recording this but I'm really looking forward to it there's some great topics that we're going to be covering on the webinar so really looking forward to chatting with Nick because as always I'm sure many of you have heard him speak before and there's always great information that Nick puts out so um, go and check that out if you don't manage to catch it live you can catch it on the community so go to footballfitfed.com click the community tab sign up there or if you're already a member just just log in and it will be available to re-watch on the community but thank you as always for your support and also your feedback i've had quite a few messages this week off people privately on whatsapp or instagram or twitter thanking us for the the podcast and the information we put out and it's always great to hear from you i really do appreciate those messages because i've said it before we put these podcasts out um obviously we can see some numbers on the people that are watching them and things like that but it's great to have some engagement back as well so it'd be great to hear some of your takeaways like i always encourage from you guys but also areas that you feel like we should talk about more or topics you feel like we should talk about more any potential guests i'm always keen to hear from um so please reach out you can drop me a message on email so mail at footballfitfed.com or search for us on Twitter or Instagram at FootballFitFed and just drop us a private message on either of those as well. So huge thank you again for your support and here is episode 102 with Darren Stern. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 102. I'm joined today by the lead academy sports scientist at Millwall and S&C coach at DS Performance, Darren Stern. How are you, mate? Yep, very good, thanks. Um, very good. Um, can't complain during these times. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. We had a good chat a few weeks ago now, um, and there's some exciting stuff to, to run through. And the, the sort of, there's a little hint in the titles, because obviously we're going to talk about 
everything that you've got going on. And I know you've got plenty going on as well. So um, do you want to just take us back, mate, like we do with everyone, just go through your background and your journey so far? Yeah, so um, I started off, um, well, if I go way back, uh, when I was about 16 years old, um, had quite a bad knee injury. I was, I was playing football at the time um, and basketball. Um, funny enough, everyone laughs when I say that because I'm only five foot seven. Um, but I was playing basketball and uh, for Great Britain and football, um, and I had a really bad knee injury and, and sort of ended up stopping playing competitively, both of them, um, which got me into sort of the idea of sport and rehabilitation and strength and conditioning. Um, and um, I took that up into uh, university uh, where I went to Birmingham, uh, where I studied uh, sport and exercise science. Um, I, I get asked quite a lot by sort of young aspiring practitioners, you know, which routes did you go down to do what you do? And I started off quite general. Um, so looking at sport and exercise science. And since then, I've branched out into um, like a nutrition diploma and strength and conditioning masters at Middlesex. Um, but after finishing my undergrad, um, I went straight and sent my, C- my email out and CV to every football club in London area, which is where I was living. Um, and Brentford got back to me pretty much within a couple of days. Um, and I went in there uh, probably a couple of weeks after graduating and, and literally started as an intern um, and was lucky enough to get a full-time, full-time role there within the academy. Um, and my main role was was sort of to set up the academy that, that they had no, they had no um, a, a sports science uh, within the academy when I started. Uh, this was in 2010. Um, and what they wanted to do, they had a project, um, a five-year project where they wanted to compete with the best academies in the UK. Um, and in my opinion, um, over the five, six years, we, we really created an unbelievable environment uh, within Brentford uh, for players to develop. Um, and um, during my sixth season there, the, the, um, the owners and the directors decided to close the academy um, and the academy shut down. Um, and then from there, I, I, I came out of that and I, I set up my own performance related business, which is called DS Performance. And that was in 2016. Um, and that was um, helping ideally youth athletes to physically develop and to improve on their athletic development. Um, mainly in football. Um, I was doing that for about six months with one-to-ones and a few groups, small groups um, before I um, had the opportunity to jump back into football um, at Millwall Football Club um, as sort of the head of Academy Sports Science there, uh, which takes me to where I am now. And I, I, I do the both together. I, I run my own business um, alongside um, being the Academy Sports Science at Millwall. And you've mentioned there, obviously, about you, your own business. And I know that'll um, catch a few people's attention because there's a lot of people doing that now. So what was the reason at that time for setting up? So um, while I set my business up, I mean, the question that I started to ask myself while I was at Brentford towards the end, uh, before it sort of the academy closed down, was are elite youth academy players doing enough s and um, in order to develop physically. And I think the question with all SNC coaches in, in all academies is, 
we turn around and say, well, we don't, we, we need more time with players in order for them to develop uh, physically. And, and the coach will turn around and say, well, we need more time with them on the football pitch to develop technically and tactically. And I think that's always a debate go, that, that goes on. And, and I sort of ask myself that question. Um, and once Brentford uh, closed down, um, I sort of had 150 uh, players within the academy, which, which at the click of a finger needed to go and find another football club. And uh, from that, a lot of parents and players themselves came up to me and asked, you know, do I mind helping out with their son's development until they go and find another club? And, and I said, yeah, sure, no problem. So the business sort of fell into my lap, really. And, and I started setting it up. And then year on year, I've sort of developed it, develop it over time um, and progressed. And, and what sort of happened is players that I was working with that were ex-Brentford sort of youth players have now gone off and joined Man City and Chelsea and Tottenham, Reading, all different clubs, you know, across the whole of the UK. Um, and I've kept in contact with them and I've kept doing sessions with them and parents as well. And, and, and pretty much the, the same question, you know, um, get, gets asked is, are they doing enough in all these different academies? Are, are, the, are, are those players doing enough from an S&C point of view in, in order to develop physically? Um, which is pretty much the question I ask myself and the reason why I've, I've set up my business, which is, is thriving now, which is great, um, in order to help these players develop um, physically and, you know, on, in, all, in, all, in all areas. You know, it's not just one area. Um, it's, it's a long-term plan for these guys. Um, and it's, um, I sort of set up to help assist, you know, players and the parent um, on, on their physical development. And that... I suppose the big challenge with working privately with players, something that you'll be well aware of being at a club as well, and this is something I've spoken about with numerous people before, because some practitioners that aren't in football won't be aware of this at all, is, is the fact of linking in with the club as well, isn't it? So how do you find, what's your approach to linking in with that club? So if you've got a player from a, a Chelsea or someone like that, they're obviously going to be doing some work at the club as well. So what's your approach to that? Yeah, so uh, obviously um, I've been working in academy football now for over 10 years. Uh, I think it's my 12th season now in academy football. Um, time flies, but um, with, with, the, with the new EPPP rules that have come into place, all academies have to have some aspect of strength and conditioning as part of their programme, and, and I'm fully aware of that. Um, and a lot, a lot of academies now under this EPPP would have to have... Um, individual learning plans for all the players as well to you know, develop physically, technically, tactically, and, and socially. Um, so my approach is speaking to the player and the parent about what what is that player's individual learning plan that 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 the club and the academy have, have given that player, and then I try and assist with working on that if that's their strengths or their weaknesses. For example, their weaknesses. All I'm trying to do with that is, is work alongside the club to get the best out of the player, help the parent. Um, for example, if they have certain questions, they might not feel comfortable going to the club and asking, you know, I'm, I'm there that they, they can ask me questions about. Um, and I'm just there to assist with that, you know, um, part, a, a big part of, of my work is ultimately is, is to get that player at the best level they can be. Um, and a lot of the time, um, a lot of the time that 
you, you see these individual players, they're in big squads and big academies and, and they might not have a, a big individual emphasis, but, but what I try then do is, is assist through good coaching um, alongside their individual plan that the, the academies have given that player um, to try and make them even better so that when they go back to the club, maybe those weaknesses are not those weaknesses anymore and those strengths are even better. They become their super strengths. And that's sort of how I, how I work, you know, um, with, with the player, um, you know, on a one-to-one basis. Um, and, and I always, always am open, you know, for example, if, if coaches or, or SNC coaches within those clubs want to get in touch with me that, that, you know, I'm, I'm always open to say that by all means, you know, you know, give them my details, let them have, give, call me or, or, or we can speak, you know, even more details about the player because ultimately the players are most important. It's something we spoke about on the phone, isn't it? Is that a program, an SSC program, can be done very differently? So you could you could write a program down, give it to a player, they could go off and do it, and their their views of it being done well and your views of it being done well could be very different, couldn't they? That's not to say that all players are like that, but. Um, it could be the case, isn't it? So is that where you see the true value is obviously that you're there, you're coaching through the program as well as, um, as them doing the exercises that have been prescribed? Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, if, if, even if I just take the last sort of six months, uh, you know, during this COVID period, a lot of players got provided programs to be doing at home. Um, now, uh, coming from an academy setup, you know, we did the same. We provided um, you know, Millwall Academy players with with programs to go and complete by themselves. Now, what you do as when you work for for within an academy is you provide the program and 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 you you give the player the independence to tr- to to complete it themselves, and you try and assist that through videos and 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 you know the way you've coached previously when they've been with you, you know, face to face. But what I try and do within my business is. You, you work with that player to go through that program to make sure they're doing it properly, to, the, to make sure they're then getting the coaching that's appropriate for those exercises that's been set from the academy. Um, you know, it's not doing something completely different or speaking, you know, to the player and say, oh, no, what you've been sent is rubbish. I'm not going to do that. that. That's not how I work. I, I work alongside it and, and, and assist with, with good coaching uh, um, to get those exercises done right, the technique right, and therefore, for the for the player, just just keep developing that way. And what about the the future of the business, Darren? Because obviously, when when things grow and you attract more players and you build that reputation of of players coming to work with you, you've only got so many hours in the day, and especially being at a club as well. Um, so, how does it look for you? Whether it's in your head or whether you've got actual plans in place for scaling the business? Yeah, so it's uh, it's something I've had in my my head for quite a while and it's something that I'm looking at doing is, is having my own sort of training facility. Um, you know, that might be five, 10, 15 years down the line. Um, but it's just a vision of mine. Um, you know, having, you know, players come to your facility and, and being, having the ability to, to one, maybe finish, complete their programs that clubs have set them with good coaching face to face, um, or players that, might not have programs for whatever reason and and you're assisting them that way um you know you're putting a program in place for them and it's the complete individual program for them in a facility that allows player to to optimize his development time um now that 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 might not only be youth athletes that we could be talking first team athletes 
under 23 athletes, um, you know, even different sports, um, but a facility which allows good coaching, you know, and, and optimal development education and, and, and moving forward that way. But timeframes, I'm not sure and of that, but it's a vision. Yeah, definitely. Because I know a lot of people will be in that sort of position when they when they go into private practice and private work, then you're managing your diary, you're trying to fit people in, people want to train at different times. You've obviously got, if you're working with players at clubs, they have to fit in the, the training with the club as well, don't they? So then it's trying to find the time that fits around without doing too much on one day. So it does become a bit of a balancing act, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think... Um you got to be really organized. Um, you got to, you know, be good with your time management skills and, um, being able to organize, uh, not, not, not only your own diary, but then also you, what you've got to juggle is each individual player will be on a, on a completely different schedule as well, as you sort of mentioned. So you might see one player and, and he might have played a game the day before and he might be exhausted. So now you might not be doing the same types of work that you do with him on a normal day. Um, so, so you've got to be super organized with, with how you work and, and understanding that each player is completely different and you can't just, you know, um, think that that player is going to be able to do everything on that one session that you plan because within, you know, the, the one player I might, may work with might have a game on a Tuesday night. I might be with him on a Wednesday and, you know, he, he might be really tired from the Tuesday night game. Um, likewise, I might be training someone on a Thursday and they've done nothing since Monday. So, again, those sessions might look very, very different and it's based on the individual and how he feels and how he, what he can and can't do. And you touched on it before in terms of the playing time sort of S and C ratio. Um, so what, what are your views on that? Where do you think we currently sit? And it, and it can be very broad, this, because I know every club is a little bit different. Um, but where do you think we currently sit with play with academy players in terms of that ratio, and and where do you think that needs to change? So, I think I think it is already changing slightly since when I started about twelve years ago. Um, at the moment, I think if you look at a, a broad week, um, you know the the EPPP are, are sort of talking about ten to fourteen hours of football time a week. Um, which is which is a, a quite a high amount, but again, you're looking at probably maybe only one hour to maybe hour and a half of S and C time a week. Um, if you're looking at that as a ratio, you're looking at for every hour they do S and C, they're doing ten hours of football or twelve hours of football. And and my as I go back to my business when I spoke to, about that, it, it the question then comes: Are the players doing enough S and C to allow them to develop physically? And I completely understand that they are trying to be footballers and they need to play football. Um, but at the same time, they're also a big part of football and the way football is going is it's becoming more athletic. You know, players are getting faster, stronger, jumping higher, breaking records on GPS distance covered in a game. And we and push players to, to, to be able to cope with the intensity and demands of the game. So for me... Is it enough? Is the is the is the million dollar question? Uh, you could be really clever with how you you work as an SNC coach within an academy, um, but um, that 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 for me is 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 the one. And my, the way way I think about it is I don't think they are. I don't think they are doing enough SNC in, in order to develop physically. 
um, in comparison to, to football time, um, and that, 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 in my opinion. And then the other thing with that is, which will cover, um, this will relate to a lot of coaches, is, is finding time for SNC, isn't it? Because I suppose we have to create time, don't we, in certain, um, in certain situations. So what, what are your views on finding time for that SNC programme? Yeah, I think I think uh, I think it all comes down to sort of a, a multidisciplinary approach to the player development. Um, I'm, I'm really fortunate that at Millwall we, we we've got a great sort of individual development program in place, and 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 we we sort of have incorporated SNC into the program. You know, in, in trying to find innovative ways ways sort of within within the training to to have extra snc for them and and you know some examples are we've got running clubs that go on we've got strength clubs that go on we've got um various different goalkeeper clubs that go on and these are small little groups of athletes that train together that work on individual snc type work um instead of doing the football work so for you know a really easy example is if you've got a two-hour training window um you you might have 15 players out of 20 that just do football for the two hours, but, but you might have five that, that come to you and do, you know, an extra half an hour, 45 minutes of, of a running club. Um, and, and within that running club, it might be acceleration mechanics. It might be sprinting. It might be, um, you know, working on those, those SNC um, type qualities to, to allow that player to develop those physical qualities. So I think it comes down to being innovative um, and having a really good multidisciplinary approach with the coaches um, to try and ultimately get the best out of every individual that you can. Um, because ultimately the aim is to get, well, whether it's youth athletes, you know, nine or 16 year old, it's to get them into a scholarship and ultimately to get them into a, a first team. Um, and if that's in your academy, it's your first team. And if not, you know, further up, you know, Premier League, international, you know, the best that they could be. I just wanted to give a very quick update on our online community. So I mentioned at the start of the episode that the webinar with Nick Grantham, being flexible and adaptable as a sports medical professional is going to be available on our community to watch back on demand. And that joins numerous presentations and webinars from practitioners such as Mark Armitage, the lecturer at the University of Suffolk, recent guests on the podcast from episode 101, Michael Cheverton, Weird Academy S&C coach at Leicester, um, the performance manager at Rotherham United, Ross Burberry, and academy performance manager, Dr. Will Abbott down at Brighton, as well as numerous other practitioners as well. But they're some of the latest webinars that are available on the community. So if you're a member, just log in and go and check out those webinars. Make sure you watch the presentations on there as well from our networking events. Um, but if you're not already a member, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign up, make sure you go through the whole sign up process and then that will give you one month free on the community to check out all the content. Um, and then after that, it is only £4.99 per month. And we are hoping fingers crossed, by the end of the year to be able to hold some of our networking events. So just keep an eye out on social media for that. 
I do hope to bring some dates to you very soon because I do hope to get some events in before the end of the year, obviously depending on any government announcements. But that obviously those presentations will then be uploaded onto the community too. So I think there's around about 23 presentations and webinars available right now, but we are going to be adding to that um, in the not too distant future as well. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com, click the community, sign up there. And here is part two with Darren Stern. Because it's a real-life battle, isn't it? When you, I mean, I suppose the, the thing that a lot of coaches will face is that they get given like the warm-up time. So the 15, 20 minutes before a, before a session, you've got that time to, um, to take players and obviously deliver an S&C programme. But that, that isn't a lot, is it, throughout the week? So it's, it's, that's, the, that's a real-life battle we face in academy football, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think that's that's quite a quite a quite a normal, isn't it? It's yeah, you, you SNC coach, yeah, just taken for the warm up and it's fifteen minutes. Um we've sort of flipped flipped it on its head a bit um at Millwall and, and and I speak about that that maybe the warm up can be done by the coach in regards to ball mastery or any types of football type drills, technical ball drills, and then we might take them second. So you don't actually lose any time with them having to get warm, which might take five to ten minutes in order to get into your five, 10 minutes of really good quality work, they're really warm. So now you've got 20 minutes of good quality work with them, if that's on the pitch. Um, so again, it's just being innovative and, and trying to find ways that it works. Um, you know, I know and I've seen in, in, other, in, in other clubs and, and, and other places abroad as well, you know, carousel type practices where, it's part of the actual main session, you know, 30 minutes, you've got two football stations and you've got a, an SNC station and, and you work that way. And I think, as I mentioned before, it's, it's about having a good relationship and good, good communication with the coaches you work with, because ultimately the, the, the players are, are the most important, you know, and, and they, they need to be able to thrive in a good environment to develop in all aspects. Um, Yeah, I think that's a that's a great point, and and the the coach is taking the warm up. That it sort of questions the norm with it, doesn't it? Like we we get um, put into that mold of like, yeah, we'll do the warm up, and then you can move on to your football work. Whereas that if they get the warm up done, you think it. I suppose it prioritizes the S and C work a little bit more, doesn't it? And gives a gives a slightly different importance to it. Yeah, I think players see it differently. They don't just see you as the warm-up guy. They see you now as someone that's trying to help them physically develop, you know, in one, you know, whether that be speed, change direction, you know, power, strength, you know, whichever quality you're, you're trying to work on. Um, again, it's, it's, it, they, they, they see it differently. They view it differently. Yeah, definitely. And then I wanted to move it on into... Um, some of your views on future research, because it's something that I do like asking practitioners, something that um, whether you've got any views on um, yourself doing research or um, any research that may need to be done to improve your practice. Yeah, so um, I think I, over, the, over the last sort of four years, I, I've... I've um, created a really good link uh, with, with Middlesex University and it probably coincided with me doing my strength and conditioning masters at Middlesex University. Um, uh, one of my uh, studies that I, I, I have completed in an area of interest, which is linked into sort of my P 
PhD question that I want to answer is bilateral versus sort of unilateral bias training and, and which training is superior um, for certain physical qualities um, or performance markers. Um, for me, that's a question I've probably asked myself for the last 10 years, but now I'm in a position, I had a paper that, that I published on, on a training intervention um, in August. It should be in this J, JSCR um, on, it was a, a training intervention study over six weeks and bilateral versus unilateral training on, on performance markers. Um, but that's the question I want to answer. For me, that's, for me, that's an area of interest. Um, you know, do you, do you train players unilaterally or do you train players bilaterally? And if you do, which one has a better performance enhancing effect? And it might be different across different physical qualities. Um, so it's something I'm looking at at the moment on, in a sort of a meta-analysis um, is which one's better for jumping and which one, which, which training modality is better for sprinting or which modality is better to get the athlete stronger. Um, and that's the question I want answered really. So that's, that's why I'm, I'm doing or, you know, investing all this time into, into the research to, to hopefully answer that question for my, for my own PhD. That's definitely a subject that people have quite strong views on, isn't it? And I've, I've heard loads of people speaking recently on that subject. And there's loads of people doing exactly what we talked about in this episode, questioning the norm and trying to think outside the box a little bit with the approach. Um, so what's your approach currently with that? Do you do a little bit of both or do you, uh, do you lean more to one side? Um. My my current approach, I think it, it it depends on the athletes that you have. I think there's um there's a huge um, specificity um, to to the to to the training modality you use. Um, and in my my last paper that, that got published, it, it found exactly that that you know if you train unilaterally, you you get better unilaterally, and if you train bilaterally, you get better bilaterally. Um, so I think both you know both training interventions. Um, had large improvements in the performance. Um, so again, I would like to think football is, is, is quite a unilateral sport in nature. Um, so, uh, you know, in regards to kicking, uh, sprinting, um, accelerating, everything is, 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 is unilateral, you know, heading is, it's all unilateral in, in nature. And so I, I've shifted more to the unilateral type exercises, um, Based off the fact that if you, you know, the specificity question is if you if you get better on 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 one leg, then sorry, if you if you get stronger on one leg, and you train on one leg, then then you get better on one leg. And if if you if football is a unilateral sport, then ultimately maybe we should be training unilaterally. So I've shifted more to that side at the moment. Um, however, for certain individuals, I can understand why bilateral exercises are easier because they're. You don't have the proprioceptive element to it. Uh, you don't have to balance as much. You don't have, um, you know, you, you potentially could um, shift heavier weights if that's required in regards to maximal force. Um, so it depends on the athlete that you're working with. But generally speaking, if I can move across to unilateral exercises, uh, that's the way I would go at the moment. Yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely a really interesting area, isn't it? Because I think going back a few years, we'd have been setting a bit of a mould that you start, um, I think a lot of people would have probably started unilaterally, wouldn't they? And added that extra instability to um, exercises and then moved on to more bilaterally. But like you say, we can 
potentially you can load up bilateral exercises a little bit more, um, just being from being a little bit more stable. So it's a really interesting discussion, isn't it, on where that fits into the training cycle? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and again, you, you'll have you know, especially across a squad of you know twenty five athletes, you'll have players that literally cannot balance on one leg. Um, but then you'll have other players that are have got really good proprioceptive type skills and you know can can, can load up you know in in the unilateral exercise like a you know like a Bulgarian split squat or something like that. So so again, I think it is individual specific, um, but in, in you know and and again, that's why I, I would like to take this part of research further and answer that question, um, which I'm doing. I'm doing it at the Middlesex University and my supervisor, who's uh, uh, Chris Bishop is, is, uh, he's and Anthony Turner who's over there. They're, you know, they're, they're excellent and trying to challenge uh, the notion of, of what is better for what physical quality is, is what we're looking at. And what about how, how you've used the um, academy setting for research? Because there'll be a lot of coaches out there obviously working within an academy. So what's been your experience on um, using the academy setting to do your research? Yeah, I, I, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, quite, I'm, I'm quite fortunate that, that I work within a really good club and it's, quite, it's very forward-thinking. Um, and um, ultimately... You're using the research to try and inform practice. Um, for example, um, you know when, when when you're doing the research, you're trying to use that research to then you know practically apply it into your setting to then help what you do and help the uh, you know ultimately help the club club's philosophies and the club syllabus. Um, so you know my, my football club have been great with me using the, the players in order to um, to then get the information and then potentially. Um, use that information to to inform what we're doing, or maybe even change what we're doing uh, for the better. Um, and it, and again, t- taking it to the bigger picture, you know, the players within the football club—they're they're a homogenous group. They're they're elite athletes, and you can get some really good, meaningful data, which is impactful to to all practitioners. Um, you know, you, you you've got elite athletes there. They're not um, you know sedentary athletes. They're they're they're, they're the elite. Um, and a homogenous group where you, where you can really practically apply what you found to other elite settings to try and impact performance. Um, so, so hopefully, you know, you're getting meaningful data for, for other practitioners that, that want to take or learn the information that you're getting from the data. Definitely. Definitely. It's definitely, um, a it's an opportunity isn't it for coaches to to do that work and like you say it it can improve the practice that's going on at that individual club as well so there's benefits all around yeah yeah exactly benefits all around and and not only that you know other practitioners um you know sharing information and 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 using that to 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 help inform practices is ultimately what what we all as coaches want to do right yeah definitely darren i wanted to finish up with um something that we just introduced onto the podcast a bit of quick fire so i've I've not given you too much of a heads up on this but the questions aren't too hard it'll just be interesting to see um where you go with some of these so first question is um who has been your biggest career influence so far and you can have a few on this if you want um so first up uh 
probably uh, the guys down at Brentford when I first started. Um, they've really helped shape the practitioner I am and, and challenge, you know, uh, views and perspective on 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 how we train. Um, so the, the uh, Chris Haslam down at, at Brentford, um, you know, gave me my opportunity when I came straight out of university and um, and Neil Gregg down there. Uh, who, who who were in the first team there? They, they they've really helped shape me as a practitioner. And then as I've gone on with my journey, um, you know, the guys at Middlesex University, um, again, just helping that research to practice and being really practical with your approach and um, having a really good foundation of science, but then being able to apply it into a practical setting. Um, and those are mainly the two guys that. That have helped me. Um, finally, some I've never met them, but um, all about cueing and how we coach. So internal versus external cues is some of the some of the research that I've really enjoyed reading recently, um, and how to get the best out of you know cues to, to athletes. Final one, just on that is, I think COVID's helped with everyone do that because with people training online, you've had to be really specific with how you tell athletes what to do and how they do it and I think everyone's had to come up with really innovative ways to to coach players through a computer screen um so I think that, that that's quite a big one yeah definitely so on on that the um internal external have you got some someone in mind yeah n- n- Nick Winkleman's uh got I thought you were gonna say Nick. And, I was just gonna yeah, yeah, yeah so <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's um he's got loads of books and research on that um and podcasts and and he does everything on it so yeah Awesome. And then next one, what's your, in your opinion, what's your biggest strength as a coach? Um, I think you, I think you have to be um, passionate about what you do. Um, I think you have to love what you do, um, which I do. Um, I love educating players, making them better. Um, And for me, that's, that's the biggest motivator. Um, so when you go to work every day, you, you enjoy it, you embrace the environment, you, you, you look at the athletes, not only just as an athlete, but, but as a person. So you speak to them on a, on a personal level. Um, and I think that's how you get the best out of the, the athlete. Um, you know, I think a lot of athletes, when they move on with their career, they, they don't remember the, they, they might not remember the coach, how the, per, how the coach coached. But what they might remember is the relationship that they had with the coach. So they might not remember that you told them to, um, you know, during acceleration, take off like a rocket. But they might remember that you asked them, you know, how their family is and, and took a real interest in, in how the person is. You know, how, how's their family life? How's their brother? How's their sister? You know, where do they go on holiday? You know, those types of questions are, are just as important to build up a relationship and trust. Awesome. And the next one, what's the best bit of CPD you've done recently? Oh, great question. Um, a lot of the CPD stuff, I actually is a, I looked internally. So um, I started s- sort of self-assessing what I did as a person. So during COVID, a lot of stuff went online. Um, there was... Um, you know, Zoom seminars on this and conferences on that. And um, I attended loads initially and, and literally every, for hours of the day, literally watched loads of different different people presenting, which was fantastic. 
um, to learn about research and, and, and further knowledge. I think the best CPD I've just done um, is looking at myself and the practice that I do um, and seeing what I do at Millwall. Does it work? Does it not work? What should I change? Am I, am I doing it the right way? Um, and really critiquing my own practice um, to then take it forward. And a lot of the stuff that I was doing, I've actually stopped doing this or we'll, we'll stop doing this season because ultimately time, time is so important. So if you're taking, spending a lot of time doing something which actually you might not be using as a practitioner or coaches might not be using to inform decision-making, then, then ultimately you've got to ask yourself, why are you doing it? Um, I think that for me is one of the biggest things that I've, I've, I've done in the last sort of, you know, recently. I think that's a great point. And uh, it's been the perfect time for that, really, hasn't it? I think a lot of people would have done that, some at different degrees to others, but it's definitely been a period of sort of self-reflection for a lot of people, hasn't it? Yeah, I think I think self-reflection's, you know, massive in, in practice. And, um, you know, it allows you to really not only establish your own philosophies and, and reiterate the points, what you're doing might be the right thing to do, but but it also allows you to get rid of and focus on the quality. So, you know, why, why are you collecting that bit of data and are you using that bit of data? And if you're not, then can you use the data? And if you, if you can use the data, how are you going to use the data? Um, and ultimately, it boils down to, um, you know, if you can use the data and is, it, is the data getting used, then, then, then you keep doing it. But if you're not, then you might, might be best not taking that data in the first place. Yeah. And then final two, um, the best relatable trait from a coach? Uh, communication. Communication for me is probably one of the biggest things. Um, um, not only communication with players, but communication with coaches. Um, I mentioned it before, that multidisciplinary approach. Um, if you've got a good communication with, with, with all coaches um, and with all players, then, then ultimately the environment's going to be better that you're going to work in. Um, and it's just creating that environment um, and that culture um, of excellence, which ultimately what you've got to do. And then the same question, really, but for a player? Uh, I've got two for this one. Um, yeah. One being one for a player to be resilient. I think um, learning from failure. So being resilient when, when they fail um, to bounce back. Um, and, and, and I mean, it's a similar type, uh, but, but working hard. Um, I don't think any player should stop working. Um, you know, I think working hard is the minimum. Um, and I mean, that, that, that doesn't have to be, you know, running the most, um, but just putting your all into every single training session like, like it's your last one. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but, but it's true. <laughs> The more you put in there, the more you get out. I think they were great, mate. I think that I really like them last two. I think they're, they're definitely um, something that a lot of coaches can relate to with players, isn't it? Because regardless of talent, like they're they're the most they're really important for any player to have. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, it's um, you know you can control it. Uh, a lot of people say say it, but you know, control the controllables. Um, and um, I think those are, it's quite a nice, 
you know, you might not be able to control if you get picked for the starting 11 or if you get signed by a certain club. But what you can control is, you know, what you eat, you know, if you're going to an S&C session or if you're going to the gym to do extra work, um, you know, you, you, you can control being on time. You know, that's hard for some people. Um, you know, little things like that, which, which make a big difference. Yeah, definitely. No, I fully agree with that. Darren, this has been great, mate. I think we got through some good stuff there. Yeah. So um, big yeah, thanks for coming on. No, nah, pleasure. Pleasure. It's been my pleasure. These, these have been great, Ben. We, we really, really enjoyed listening to them all. Um, I can't believe you're on episode. You're over 100 now. So quick fire time. <laughs> yeah, it's gone. Uh, it's been a mad... Mad time, mate, to be honest, but there's been um, reflecting on, I'm doing, just currently putting together a webinar for our community members on some takeaways from the 100 and it's, um, you sort of, when you start flicking back through it, like like you've talked about some self-reflection, you realise how much good quality stuff's come from all the guests. So I, I honestly appreciate everyone coming on and, and yourself as well. So thanks for giving up your time. Uh, pleasure, been a pleasure. And uh, all the best when the season gets going again, mate. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thanks so much. September twelfth at the moment, so fingers crossed. And we'll we'll catch up soon, Darren. Cheers, Ben. Thanks very much. Thanks, mate. Bye. Bye, bye. Thank you for listening to episode one hundred and two. Go and give Darren a follow. He's on Twitter at DS Performance One. He's also on Instagram. D at DS Performance Coach. So go and give him a follow on both of those and reach out if you've got any questions for Darren as well. Some takeaways for me, the whole discussion around are academy players doing enough S&C? I think it's an interesting one and I'm sure it is contextual depending on the club. Um, but I think we covered some interesting discussions around whether they are or not and the areas that Darren certainly thinks that players need that more uh, that bit more which is why obviously he set his company up the clubs that he's created so we talked about the running club the goalkeeper club things like that so in in the training session um, he's able to separate players off into those different groups and get their SNC working I think he said a, a great quote so how not to be the warm-up guy so he, he talked about switching round, getting the technical coaches to do the warm-up and then you stepping in after and being part of the session then, which I think is a really interesting concept because um, I think anyone that's worked in the academy setting will have suddenly turned into the, the person that warms them up and we do just sort of get referred to as, as the warm-up, warm-up guy or warm-up coach. So, and there's much more to S&C and sports science than that, as we know. So it's just, it's just changing that mindset around the job that we do and the role that we play. Um, he talks about carousel type practices to fit in S&C. So obviously you can implement them in with some technical work as well. Um, and then when we did the quick fire at the end, some of the CPD reflection and he was talking about, am I doing it the right way? So constantly questioning your practice and reflecting. So that goes back to the episode. Um, I can't remember the exact number but with Liam Anderson. I think it's around about 78 if I'm if I'm not I might be wrong on that one but I'll double check. Um but that was talking about reflecting the reflective practice and going through some re- reflective practices on your own um coaching process and I think that's really important for everyone to do. So and I think this is definitely I said this in the episode I think this has definitely been a time that a lot of people have done that as well throughout the lockdown we've had a bit more time on our hands. So 
Huge thank you to Darren for coming on. I think we covered some interesting stuff in this one around academy players and, and the private practice. So reach out. Let me know, as always, what your takeaways were from it. Give it a share on Twitter, Instagram. Send it out to friends on WhatsApp um, or, or um, colleagues, anyone that you think will benefit from the episode. And I look forward to speaking to you again in episode 103.